there's been systems and structures put in place to keep people apart and to keep people segregated and to keep us out of relationship and all of that. So, it, I mean, we've said intentional a lot and I think it does, you know, it has to be intentional. It's not, you're not going to trip into it, but I think that relationship is sort of the foundation for that to happen. You're listening to Upside Down, a podcast on spirituality and culture. No topic is off limits, so join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. Hey friends, Kayla here, and before we get started in this really uh, interesting and special conversation with Ryan of True Color Bandages, we wanted to pop in and let you know about some news that we have going on with Upside Down Podcast. So you may have heard that for the last uh, few episodes, It's just been Lindsay and I as co-hosts, but we want to broaden the net and add more voices. So if you would like to join us as a co-host for the next few months, for the next, uh, how long is it from January to May, Lindsay? Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Lindsay, she's not one of many words, (laughs) but if you are one of many words, you can join the Upside Down Podcast. Oh, goodness. Yes, we're excited um, to be bringing someone else in. We never really intended to be an interview style podcast. Um, We love having conversations. and We love bringing different voices to the table and different perspectives. And we love the ecumenical aspect of the podcast. And so we're just looking to bring some more voices to the table. So um, if you think this is something that you might be interested in, you can go to UpsideDownPodcast.com slash host, right? Yep. Just UpsideDownPodcast.com slash host, making it easy. There's a little form to fill out so we can learn a little bit more about you. And if you just feel like you enjoy listening to these conversations and you might uh, enjoy, you know, you don't have to be an expert to just model having conversations that are about spirituality and culture and God's upside down kingdom. Um, We want, we want to hear from you. So even if it doesn't sound like something you're interested in, maybe somebody you know is. Maybe your neighbor or a friend or a coworker could be just the right fit. We are looking for men or women, um, Protestant or Catholic, a variety, uh, you know, any race or ethnicity. We want to just add more chairs to the digital table. So let us know what you think. We are having applications open until December 18th. And we've just been really prayerful um, and expectant that the spirit will move and bring the right people to our midst to keep having these conversations. So Lindsay, anything else you want to add before we get the show rolling? No, that's it. <laughs> come, come join us. So there are more words. I Kayla know. needs yes. somebody with more words. No. <laughs> Well, without further ado, here is Ryan and the conversation we had about why representation matters. Hey there, welcome to episode 48 of Upside Down Podcast. We are talking about representation with Ryan Tolbert of True Color Bandages. Kayla Craig is with me here today, tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening. <laughs> um, and we're going to let <laughs> we're going to let Ryan um, introduce himself and if you could also just tell us uh what True Color is and kind of like what's the origin story of True Color Bandages and how it came to be. Sure. Just certainly. a couple of things, right? Yeah, my... Just a few. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. 
Yeah, my name is Ryan Tolbert. Um, I would describe myself as someone of in charge of operations and then a little bit on the marketing side of True Color Bandages. Uh, essentially, True Color Bandages is a uh, company that produces three bandage shades that are darker than just the standard Band-Aid. Um, we just believe in the uh, the beauty of individuality. So we really wanted to come out with a product that kind of just takes that in form in, in such a simple product as a bandage. Um, so right now we have our product available on Target and also on Amazon, uh, but it's been quite a journey to get here. Um, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell, but uh, I could go into further detail in some of those areas. Yeah, and um, I forgot to mention in my intro that True Color Bandages was the presenting sponsor of the Upside Down Gathering that we had this fall in Chicago. So we actually got to meet Ryan in person and give away some of the bandages in our bags, which was really fun and cool. But I wonder if you could share the story of how it came to be and like why why do we need the bandages that are other colors and who you know how that kind of started sure certainly so uh, i guess the origin story is uh, a good friend of mine toby meisenheimer um back in 2013 uh there's like a it's a little story about basically one day i guess kids okay let me back up back that up back that up so toby a good friend of mine basically um He's an adoptive parent. Uh, he has four adopted children and two are his biological children. But at one point back in 2013, he was just kind of playing around with some of the kids in the yards. And then uh, one of his uh, sons, Kai, one of the adopted sons, kind of scraped his knee. And then I guess it was just like one of those like parent type moments where you can kind of just uh, kind of console a child through just, you know, the rigmarole of just rough and tough in the backyard. But he kind of took the opportunity to just put a bandaid on as you know, many parents do. Um, but kind of, I think it just clicked with him at that moment that there was kind of a differentiation in their skin tones and that really band-aids were kind of made for the majority. Um, and I think that just that, that, that particular moment kind of just rung with him for a while. Mm-hmm. So back in 2013, or actually probably a little bit even before that, uh, I think he just kind of hit the ground running, just trying to figure out like, Hey, like, is this a product that could be like put out in the market? And I think he did a lot of research back then to see, you know, who had tried this idea before and then like, what would it look like to sort of put that out? But during that time period, um, I was in college and then my other uh, business partner, Mason was also in college. And I guess he kind of put his feelers around cause we're all Wheaton college grads. Um, Toby graduated in the 90s, but we graduated in 2013-14. So while we we're in college, I guess he just found a lead to connect with us um, just on the background of Mason being a graphic designer. And at the time, I was doing a lot of video work. So he's just kind of really looking to just, you know, partner in some kind of creative capacity to sort of see what it would look like to put the, pro- the product out. But honestly, just good vibes from the early start. We kind of just just try to see what the next step would be to invent this product everywhere from, I guess, searching for a manufacturer and towards like what the actual shades would be um, into probably in 2014 where we initially led a Kickstarter. I guess at the time it was an Indiegogo, but that was the original buy-in of putting the product out there and trying to get the first order, which I think was at the time about a million bandages. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I remember that. I remember when that came out and kind of this buzz generating. And I think I kind of realized like, oh yeah, the Band-Aid market is 
for me. Like it's not for a lot of other different types of skin colors. I mean, that's, that's privilege, right? Like not even realizing that, um, that I just take that so much for granted. And then when I saw that, um, kind of push, it was like, Oh, absolutely. This is, this is so important. And I just remember how you, um, you guys just presented it so well. It was like, who could resist not jumping on board? (laughs) Yeah, no, we really appreciate just the feedback, I think from the early start, because I think very much so because we've always had a small team to begin with, but we've always kind of just shot from the hip a little bit. It was kind of like, Hey guys, let's, let's get this idea out there. And I mean, put the money in there and, and different things like that to get the ball rolling. But we really just tried to just see where it could go. Like even back then there was no dream of, you know, landing retail or even like what it would look like down the road at the time. It was just like, let's just try to see what this would look like if we could get the product out there. Yeah. And now you're in target. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> Which is, that's pretty bizarre as well. So, yeah, yeah. it's funny because we are la- so our last episode, um, we talked about consumerism <laughs> and capitalism and Christmas, and we talked a lot about Target and like kind of how we dislike Target, but also yeah. Target does good things, right? So, yeah, like, yeah. This is an example, <laughs> yeah, an example of that. Yeah, we're very sure. much appreciative of, of Target. I think they've been a, a friendly retailer, um, and even just I think the like the interesting thing is that they kind of approached us in the early start of it. Like we we're kind of just mm-hmm. selling on Amazon and just selling on our own uh, storefront. And I guess they just, they have different buyers that kind of just for look for innovative products that kind of have nice. a, a hole in the market. And I think target definitely is trying to put it, push sort of initiative towards like racial inclusion and, and yeah. things like that. So we're definitely very appreciative of, uh, of them mm-hmm. uh, seeking us out. Well, it's interesting because we, I mean, I think we plan on titling this episode Representation Matters. And Kayla mentioned how, like, her initial response was kind of one of surprise, right? Like, oh, yeah, the Band-Aid market is for me. Um, and I have found that – I don't remember how I originally found True Color. I think I went looking, actually, mm. for darker skin tone Band-Aids. Um, and I found you guys that way. But since then, I've become really aware of, like – um, I was at the park one day and there was a man there who had an amputated leg hmm. and his prosthetic was white, but he was not white. <laughs> and it was like one of those moments where I was like, there it is again, you know, like there it is again that every, the, like the world is made for white people. And this guy, I mean, surely that's wouldn't be his desire, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I wonder if it might be helpful for us to unpack what we mean when we say representation matters. So the true color tagline is celebrating individuality with skin tone shade bandages that allow you to be you. So maybe we could all just talk about what do we mean by representation and how does that allow individuals to be who they are as individuals? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a, that's something that we we definitely had a lot of conversations here at True Color about because um, I think it, I think it, there is a tendency I think within America specifically I mean I don't necessarily know what's what it's like around the world but I think it is kind of a global issue as well but I think one of the things we've always strived to do is to try to create just a product that kind of bridges somewhat of that gap and even into just starting a conversation because um, I think even spoiler but. Like our original goal when we started off True Color was to eventually come out with 
five or six shades. Mm-hmm. But we 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 attacked like the first three as the darker shades because we knew that was like a larger hole in the market of things that just that they're really nothing having existed in that in that space. But I think the coolest thing is creating a product um, and even supporting just the ethos of just helping people feel known. Um, Because I think there is a space where sometimes even with bandages, for for instance, like there's a space where the child, like sometimes there's a place to get like the Tonka truck or like the, like the princess bandage. Like we had those at our house too, but there's a space at the same time where something as small as a bandaid can kind of create like a really cool, miniature teaching moment like we've gotten emails and even notice it firsthand where sometimes like different white parents or different parents of different ethnicities have a cool opportunity to sort of speak to their children or speak to different people at large about you know what god did create your skin tone this color and we want to recognize it for that and we don't Mm -hmm. necessarily like downplay that because there is a beauty in those skin tones and i think I think that's that's ultimately what we were really trying to spark. It's not necessarily trying to create a huge ripple in the market, but rather open up a new avenue to sort of create a window for people to sort of have that sort of discussion and to think about that. Because I think that, that totally ties in exactly what you said earlier with, with that prosthetic leg where it's like when you start to read into some of those things, you start to re- realize that sometimes things were made for kind of one person in mind. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, what you guys are doing in a very like – I don't want to say small, but it's almost like a under the radar kind of way. It's like debunking the colorblind theory, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. like kids don't see color, which is crap. <laughs> yeah. They do. I mean, science tells us they do. And just like listen to kids and they, they, they do like we know they do. And so, but also it's not just like science tells us, oh, we all see it and we have implicit bias and all these other things, but like, God created color on purpose because he yeah. he loves color and he loves diversity. This was intentional. It's not like happenstance or, oh, you happen to be this color and I happen to be this color. No, it was very intentional. And so to to like very slowly peel back those layers for people who then can see like, oh, the prosthetic is white and like, oh, the ballet leotard is white. And oh, you know, and yeah. like you start to realize um who's being centered in our society and then you can take steps to like dismantle that right but you have to see it first and i think you guys are doing a great job of that and people who show up at my house we only have true color (laughs) bandages so it doesn't matter what color your skin is you're getting a brown or dark brown band-aid so it's always a fun conversation for us to have too like if people are at our house and they need a band-aid and they're white it's not going to match and we can yeah, you know, it's like a, it's like you're saying it opens up conversations that people yeah. probably wouldn't have had. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I've thought about um, uh, as a woman, you go shopping and so many different things at the store, like clothing items. Will say this is a this is a nude pair of high heels or whatever, and it's like, well. How are we defining that? You know what I mean? Because it's never a brown or dark tan. Like it's usually like a light peach color. And, um, you know, when I think of representation matters, I, I like to see people like me, like when I was a little girl, I like to see women who were leading the charge, you know, women who looked like me and I could see myself in them being leaders. And I want, 
children, my children, I have biological and transracial adoption. I want them to see people that look like them who are, who are leading. And I want to see that reflected in the, you know, like the books we buy and the, the toys we have and the, and the bandages, you know, like Lindsay said, it can seem so simple, but to, to a child and, and I actually, so I don't want to like do a plug because this is not a commercial, but we have true color bandages as well. And I've had friends who, you know, come from a lot of different like racial and ethnic backgrounds who are adults who message me and say, wait, where can I grab those? Like for myself, you know what I mean? So like I come at it from perspective as a mom, but so I can't speak to, you know, people of color as adults, but I would assume that it feels good to have, you know, something that matches your skin, no matter who you are. Yeah, I, I think that like I'm I'm a big analogies fan, and I feel like the really the statement we're trying to make like as the equivalent analogies, we're really just trying to like make a space where people can feel like they can take their shoes off. Like I feel like that's that that even with just a bandage, like I think that's really what we're trying to do is just create that space where like you don't feel like you have to like keep your shoes on and be uptight. Like it's more like you know what you're accepted here. Like we want to make something that fits you and just feel comfortable in that space, you know? And so I think, I think that even just with a small tidbit of a bandage, I think that's, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Yeah. I love that. So I think when we talk about representation, we often don't recognize that there are adverse effects for all of us when we live in homogeneous environments. And I thought, it might be good for us to share if, if you guys have them and I'll go first, but kind of our own like personal representation stories. And Caleb, you touched on that just a little bit with, you know, as a little girl wanting to see women leading. Um, but I remember really vividly a few years ago, I was at a conference and um, it was a predominant, it was a majority minority conference. So most of the people on stage were not, white people. And I remember the last day a white guy got on stage and I kind of am a pretty strong critic of um, white men at times. And so this white guy gets on stage and immediately I'm like, why is there a white guy on stage? Like, couldn't they have found a woman? Couldn't they have found a person of color? Couldn't they have found this, you know? Um, And he starts sharing his story of um, his parents moved into a marginalized community when he was a small child and he grew up there. And he starts sharing the stories of um, living in this poor neighborhood and what it was like to be a part of the school system there and what it was like to have friends that he lost to gun violence there and what it was like to... um, return there after he went away to college. And for lack of a better term, he was a woke white guy and he was standing on stage. <laughs> Not, I don't usually say that word, but everyone gets what you mean with when you say it. So there's this man standing on stage and he's talking about how deeply he loves his neighbor, how glad he is that his parents raised him in this community and that he went back. And I was just sitting in my seat like 
bawling because what I saw on that stage was my biological son who is white and who we're raising in a not white neighborhood who often feels um, a little bit like the outsider and who, you know, as a parent, you're always questioning your decisions. Like, am I doing the right thing? Am I screwing them up? Should I be saving for counseling? What are we doing? And I just saw on stage this man who was incredibly humble, who loved the Lord and loved his neighbors and not for a second regretted his upbringing and um, just had such a strong heart for justice for the people around him. And it was for me, wasn't personal representation. Like it wasn't a mom on stage. It was for me, it was better. It was like the result of, you know, my own parenting choices and this white guy on stage who wasn't who, who I had completely judged because he was a white guy. Um, but it, for me, was a representation of my son. And that was, I did, it was kind of like this healing that I didn't even know I needed. Um, but being able to see that representation on stage was just really moving for me. And Kayla, you were talking earlier about like, as a mom, you kind of want those things for your kids, but you can't really imagine like what it would be like for an adult mm-hmm. to have finally have a Band-Aid that matched their skin. And I think for me, like that was a really close um, as close as I could get to that feeling of like, oh, this is what it's like to have representation. Because I don't know very many like grown adults who were raised the way that we're raising our kids, you know. Um, so it was just a a really pivotal moment for me. Um, and I and I kind of felt like I was seen, you know, um, yeah. just in listening to this man speak. So I wonder if you guys have. Any personal stories of a time that representation really hit home and and made you feel seen? I think of um, my son, Joseph, who is eight and he is Nigerian. And we were looking at some pictures. My boys are really into superheroes, which... I It is what it is. <laughs> and... Um, we were looking at um, some different pictures. They wanted me to search for Batman. And I came up across this, like, it was like a, I don't know, like a Comic-Con type thing. And there was a guy that looked like my son and he was dressed up in like a really epic Batman suit. And um, he looked great. And my son looked at me and he was pretty young at this point. He was like, Hey mom, that Batman looks like me. And I was like, yeah, he does. And, and my son was like, oh, so I can be a superhero? And I was like, yeah, of course. And and of course, now we're hearing, you know, so much with Black Panther. Um, but that little moment where it was just like, wow. Like, it just made me realize how much representation is needed for my Black son. And my white son needs to see people of color, um, you know, prevalent in his life. You know, it's just as important Um when we were we were shopping and we were at a Disney store and that was when Black Panther had just came out and they had all these Black Panther costumes and I loved seeing um, little white boys like trying on the Black Panther con- costume and just kind of this this concept of um, the representation of our black kids matters to white kids to see it too so I don't know like that's a lot of superhero thought and past the mic does a really good job talking about, you know, Wakanda. So don't, don't come to upside down <laughs> podcast for that. Go to them. Cause they're doing a great job, but yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about. 
No, I think that's I, I can resonate with a lot of that. I think for myself, I I, I grew up pretty much in majority white areas, um, but yet I go to church sort of at a predominantly black church. So I was kind of always in between the middle. Like half my family is uh, probably more conservative and then another part of my family is more liberal. So there's always just been this split in between the two. And I just remember growing up and like loving certain different things that theoretically typically weren't like your standard black things. Like I, like my parents were very st- like big into like just having me just try a lot of stuff. So I, I remember like taking a lot of swim classes and going to camp and then even doing weird stuff. Like at one point in time, they had me on like a, a ice hockey team. And I remember just enjoying those things so much for what they were, which is somewhat, I remember I couldn't communicate when I was a lot younger, but I was just like, it was cool. But I just felt like it, at, at that time, what it would really would have been is just it just felt homogenous. But mm-hmm. it's been kind of cool over the 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 past few Olympics to sort of see there be a speckle of this person here, these th- these person here, this person is a black swimmer, this person is on this team, and it's just starting to see a little bit of diversity kind of across the board. And even I think Kayla, what you were saying earlier, I think even with the superhero idea, I think it's really cool to sort of see in the future there's a hope of of not just simply uh, one standard sort of superhero or one sort of kind of archetype. But I think it's super cool to think about a future where I think all kids are starting to sort of cross race of who they think is cool. Like I think even just on a historical front, like mm. I've always loved George Washington Carver. I think that's someone I've could, I've always like as just an inventor, but I think there's a good day where I think, all sorts of different type of people are going to sort of just intermingle on who they think, whether it's a male or female or a different race. I think people will begin to sort of see just individuals for like their truths that they, that they came up with rather than just being mm. like the majority person or this is in my textbook. I think that's, that's really exciting, especially just, I think the kind of current way that the world is, is headed. Yeah. And I think, we are living in an age where you can, because of social media and because of the internet, you can be expo- like, no matter where you are, you can yeah. be exposed to people, you know, that are different than you are. Um, and yeah, I, I love what you're saying that, that maybe that's the direction that we're moving and maybe that's the good that will come out of being uh, so connected, like, I, I, you know, I'm, in the internet. I'm honestly trying to, I'm trying to see that day. Like I'm trying to see a day where, where there's mm. like guys that have role models that are women in power. I'm trying to see like a day definitely like intermingling of different races where I don't know, there's a, a, a person who grew up in the States, but like admire someone in Korea. There's someone in Korea who admires someone in Africa. I think there's a, there's an exciting day ahead. I think where there's still a lot of things that are weird in the world, but I think there's a day where I think people's, achievements are starting to be looked at like empirically i think that that's exciting Mm, yeah it is so one of the things as i was kind of preparing for this episode is thinking along the lines of we're talking about representation but ultimately representation is diversity right because we're all different and so in order for different people to be represented we need diversity um but we don't necessarily in the United States exist in diverse environments. And I remember the first time I heard this statistic a few years ago, I was blown away. But according to PRI, 
75% of white, white folks have entirely white social networks without any minority presence. But the same holds true for slightly less than two thirds of black Americans. And some of that is pure numbers, right? There just simply are more white folks than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But it's also a number of, for another of other historical reasons like redlining and white flight in our cities and in our schools. But a question that I, Kayla, I don't know if you get this question often. I get it a lot, particularly, although not always, I was going to say particularly from adoptive parents who are raising um, children of color, but I, I get it from other people too. And the question is, how do I increase the diversity in my life? Or, you know, if it's a parent, how do I provide representation for my child? So I'd love to hear y'all's take on that and how you would answer that question for folks. I think that's, that's, that's a really tough question, I think. But I I love that that question at least is even being asked. Because I think some of those statistics definitely come from a somewhat of, of, of a culture we live in where things have certain sort of been designed to sort of block people off. But I also think it's just natural sometimes for people to sort of hang around people that look like them and that kind of spirals or snowballs into its own thing. But I do think that that stance of sort of acknowledging that like God calls us to sort of befriend all our neighbors, no matter what they look like. And to sort of, I guess, put yourself in a stance to sort of at least be sort of a participant of other cultures, whether it be, you know, going here or there or going to different museums or different events in the community. I think that definitely it can be very uncomfortable, um, especially to roll up like on an African museum or a different place where there people are speaking different languages. But I think that practice, I think as a whole, I think greatly affects, I think, children. I know perfectly from my family, like my parents, um, I'm an only child, so I got a lot of attention when I was growing up. But um, my parents were very, very, very strategic in putting me in lots of different arenas and a lot of different people. And I think when I was younger, I didn't sort of sort of see like the value of that. And I didn't even really notice somewhat of probably some of the sacrifice or some of the different, um, I guess, uncomfortability in some ways of enrolling in me in so many different avenues. But I think uh, really, I think starting with acknowledging that and then moving towards trying to see where we can try to fit ourselves in different places, just to kind of just even get your feelers out there to just move outside of that comfort, I think is always the start. Yeah. And I would say briefly, and then I want to hear what Kayla has to say, but I would say for, especially if you're a, pa- a white parent of a child of color, but even if you're not that uncomfortableness that you feel as a minority in a, you know, minority space, that's important for us to feel right. Cause the Bible says that we should stand with people in their feelings. And I think, especially if you're raising a child who is of color and you're white, you can exist in the world and basically stay in your own circles and never feel that uncomfortable feeling of being the only white person in the room, but your child never feels that, right? So I think it's important for us, I mean, just one as Christians, but two as parents to know that feeling because our kids are feeling it. If you're raising a child of color in an entirely white environment, 
they feel uncomfortable probably frequently. And it's important for us to, to know what that feels like because we just have to be able to stand with them in those feelings. And I think even if you're not, I think it's important to feel that uncomfortableness because like I can exist in a completely white world and never feel it. Right. But my friends of color are interacting with that uncomfortable feeling all the time because they, they don't have that same option of existing in the world without bumping into whiteness and white supremacy. Sorry. Soapbox. Yeah. I think the two, (laughs) I think the two words that come to mind, whether you're a parent or not really for all of us is we need to be entering into spaces with a posture of humility and a posture of intentionality. Mm -hmm. So just expecting diversity to fall into our laps is just not realistic. Like it's not realistic and it's really kind of centering ourselves. Right. But if I say I need a new pediatrician and I, I could go to this clinic and and not find representation or I could go to this clinic and I might have um, a Hispanic female doctor or I might have yeah. an African-American male doctor. You know what I mean? Like seeking that out in even just really basic ways, you know, like where where do you go every day? Where do you shop? Where, you know, just like to tack on to yeah. what Ryan was saying, um, we have to we have to be willing to learn and not say that my experience of the situation is is over somebody else's you know i think i think hair is another big one as well like um even just different kinds of hair like different hair textures i know for me i i have very curly um wavy hair but um even if you have a transracial family and one child is biological, another child is adopted. Um, even just the different type of hairstyles mm-hmm. and acknowledging that I think is another place as well. I think it can be really easy to sort of just say like, you know what, we're just going to, everybody's going to use the clippers um, just because it's, <laughs> it's really easy to do that. But I think with ethnic hair, uh, especially uh, African-American children, I think there's a there's a special care to, to, to taking care of that and like making sure that it looks good. I think it's very natural sometimes for, people with straight hair to just be like, you know what, we're just going to, you know, spike it today. We're going to comb it back or we're just going to wake up with bedhead and it's going to look good. But (laughs) you can't necessarily do that with black hair. And I think even, especially with little girls, I think, I think that can be something that you can kind of sleep on a little bit. Um, (laughs) I think in the easiness that it is sometimes to, I think, dress up straight Mm -hmm. hair, I think that same type of intentionality, I think needs to be put, especially into, uh, little black girl's hair as well um just because it's it's easier to ignore because it takes a lot more work to 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 fix it up but i think just thinking about like my nieces and and different things like that like it's it's joy to have i think for all girls it's joy to have their hair done and i think not sleeping or not um like ignoring that point i think is definitely another thing that i think definitely takes a level of crossing the uncomfortability and, and maybe having to, you know, uh, like go someplace or perhaps uh, learn to, to do that style of hair. But I think that's just another practical example as well. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> so glad. And listen, it's 2018. There's really no excuse. Like we've got mm, YouTube. That's, so, that's such a good point. You can 
pays. Oh, YouTube, I mean, yeah, for you- real, YouTube will tell you what you need to know. But if you're like uncomfortable or scared or you don't have time, like go to the salon because it's so important. Um, I'm really yeah. glad you said that. Yeah, I love seeing my son like at the barbershop. Yeah. And it's such a cool, I don't know, like my husband takes them and yeah. my husband is white and it's a good um, you know, just posture of decent my husband decentering himself and my son yeah. sitting in the chair and talking to the barber and getting that that cultural experience uh many black men have, you know, of just going to the barbershop. And yes. it makes me think of the do you remember that documentary that when you were talking about little girls yeah. um, that Chris Rock put out That's good cool. hair. That I, have not, I haven't seen that, but I can imagine yeah. what, he, what he was talking about. We can, we can put that in our show notes. It's funny. Um, yeah. And I, Kayla kind of along those same lines, like Johnny's putting himself in a posture of learning from these men of color, right? It's entering into a space and saying, I don't know what to do here, or I don't know how to do this, or you can do it better. Like I'm going to come to you and, I really think that's a huge part of this. Um, I don't know. Maybe huge is overstating it. But like just as humans, we don't like admitting like we don't know what we're doing or we need help or, you know, whatever. So I think like that posture of like, hey, I have something to learn from you. Um, like whiteness has sort of taught us that's not the way you're supposed to act. Right. But but it's it's a lie. <laughs> um yeah. While we're on the subject of films that people should watch, have you guys seen um, the Netflix special? I think his name is, I don't know if I'm going to say it correctly. It's W. Kamau Bell. Have you seen it? No, I I haven't seen that. No. Okay. You need to go now. It's called Private School Negro, and it's a Netflix special. Oh, it's so um, good. (laughs) I was thinking of it earlier, Kayla, when you were talking about needing a new pediatrician, because he does this whole bit. So he's African-American. His wife is white, and they have a daughter. And the daughter's like, I don't know. They have like three little girls. Oh, do they? Okay. So this 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 one bit is about one of the little girls. And so she grew up watching Doc McStuffins, right? And Doc McStuffins is a girl of color who is a doctor and so she I don't remember the whole story but I just she goes to the doctor and the little girl is ticked because the doctor is a white man and it's just it's hilarious you have to um you have to see it but I forgot about that oh the whole the whole the whole bit I mean the whole like stand-up special is really good yeah the whole thing is really good there's language if that is offensive to you don't watch it but um (laughs) listen that's a listener note if you're offended by language (laughs) um but yeah it's really it's hilarious um and i've I've been thinking of it for several minutes now so i just had to say it um so i wonder what you guys think about i have had this question in my mind and i don't know exactly how to articulate it so maybe you can help me but I think um, there's a danger when we talk about diversity in um, sort of curating diversity for the sake of diversity right so like we all know of multi-ethnic churches and they've got like one Korean guy who's an elder or you can go to like a panel, a multi-ethnic panel on race and there's like one black lady, you know? And so it becomes this, like it's, that's not really diversity. That's 
it makes us feel good or maybe it makes some of us feel good, right? Like, oh, we have a Korean guy on staff, but like at the end of the day, we're still, we're still centering whiteness. We're still upholding white supremacy. We're not actually celebrating and enjoying the cultures and ethnicities of our brothers and sisters. We're just like kind of kumbayaing it around a fake fire. So how do we, how do we not do that? Like, how do we not have this fake sense of, diversity and actually engage in what the kingdom is going to look like and should look like now. I don't know if I have an answer. I bet you do, Lindsay, because I know you've been thinking. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I do. I mean, I think maybe we have to sit in that tension. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to, to, to discern, you know, we don't want to just have that fake fire, like you said, but, but then how do we move forward? I I don't have an answer, but I do know one thing that has helped me at least become more educated is just reading and, um, you know, like even like Dominique Gilliard, who was a guest on our podcast and he wrote a book and he spoke at the Upside Down Gathering. But I mean, he's a historian and I've learned so much from him. And that mm-hmm. helps when we understand the past, then we can look to the future, mm-hmm. but we can't just look to the future and yeah. avoid. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, but that I think it's definitely there. I think there is a sense where sometimes there is kind of this collective force to be like, okay, it's on the agenda. We do need to become more diverse. And so then it's like, there's not, like you said, there is like a, a, a kind of artificial, I guess, diverseness where it's like, okay, we're taking headcount or like, we're going to do like these three songs at church, or we're going to talk about this topic, but this whole framework mm-hmm. is still the same. And it's, it's interesting. I'm not necessarily, I don't know. That's a good question, but I haven't, I don't know necessarily like the, the the answer but i definitely know that that particular uh i guess superficiality sometimes can be there but i think there is a space where like 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 kayla said we kind of have to like look at the past to like move into the future and i think even in moving to the future that that future kind of has its own identity too because when you start to bring in all those different cultures together and they sort of intermingle like you 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 want to keep the individuality of it but that when you mix those, that starts to actually sort of mm-hmm. create its own new thing. And I think that can be actually somewhat yeah. interesting. I mean, the only thing that I keep coming back to is relationship. And even that is kind of tricky, right? Cause you can have like a token friend of color and that's a relationship, you know? So I think I totally yeah. sound like a pessimist right now, but I think like it just has to be rooted in relationship and like a genuine understanding that we're all made better by being together and like Mm. we really do need each other and we really do reflect the kingdom of god better in our diversity because it's the way that he created the human race you know um and and again like that's hard because like we talked about earlier there's been systems and structures put in place to keep people apart and to keep people segregated and to keep us out of relationship and all of that. So it, I mean, we've said intentional a lot and I think it does, you know, it has to be intentional. It's not, you're not going to trip into it, but I think that relationship is sort of the foundation for that to happen. And yeah, what I like what both of you said about understanding our past and where we've come from and in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd have to agree with you on that relationship part though. Cause I think, 
I, I think there is that space where the more you begin to see like the uniqueness of a person on a, on a one-on-one level and there's that, whatever that is where two people begin to know each other and, and, and actually be working or sort of see how each other have like basically have concerns for each other. I think, I think that is, I think that is part of what gets the wheels turning. But I think beyond that, I think there's, there's a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of work for sure. A lot of work. Well, you guys have any final thoughts? You know what? I, I was just thinking about true color bandages and how I love, um, we talked about kind of one of the phrases that goes along with the brand, but I just love this idea, like diversity and healing. And maybe, you know, I'm taking it in a different way, but I think that in our healing, we need each other, you know, to piggyback on that relational aspect. But like, we become more whole when, when we're with each other and, and when we're learning from each other and growing. And so I just, I, I love that. Like it's a physical healing with a bandage, you know, like it's, it is healing a wound and, and protecting, but I also feel like we heal and protect each other when, when we're with each other and when we're, you know, coming together in, in humility and, you know, yeah, I just, I, I love that about, um, true color. Yeah. Well, that's a great note to end on. This is our final episode for the year. That's crazy. Just crazy and hard yeah. to believe. Yep. So <laughs> 2018 is almost over. We made it. Um, but we'll be back in January um, with some fun new episodes. So we want just to say Merry Christmas to our listeners. We hope you enjoy time. We hope it's peaceful and restful. And Ryan, mm-hmm. thanks so much. For joining us today and for having this yeah, conversation having we really appreciate what you're doing with true color and just your willingness to share with yeah, us too absolutely and Ryan, where can, uh where can we find yeah, where can we learn guys. more where can we find you guys on the internet um you know i i think of a lot of people who are um teachers who have also expressed interest in buying bandages that match all of their kids for their classrooms so where can they get it Sure. Uh, we have we have all our uh, product it's available in uh, Target's nationwide. Um, that has all three shades, and those are in twenty packs, 20, 20 bandage in each pack. But you can find us on social media or at our website. The brand is actually spelled with uh, there's no e in true, and then color has a u a o u r. So t r u c o l o u r. Um, and that's just truecolorbandages.com. But um, that's where people can purchase in bulk or just send us a hello. Awesome. Uh, Yep. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next year.